Well, hello, everyone. It's time for another episode of Crime Wave, the podcast featuring mystery, thriller, and suspense authors and the stories behind their stories. Crime Wave is part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with over 4 million listeners worldwide. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, and my guest today is Joel Burkett. Welcome to Crime Wave, Joel. Uh, Bonner, it's a great pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I can't wait to uh, have a nice conversation with you first. So let me tell uh, our listeners just a little bit about you, Joel. Ready? Joel Burkett is a Burkett, excuse me, is a novelist and retired environmental and energy lawyer. His previous novels have all been award-winning thrillers. He's a gold medal winner from Reader's Favorite for Reader's Favorite for Environmental Fiction a finalist of the Next Gen Indie Book Awards and a winner of the Pen Writers Annual Writing Contest. Strange Fire, one of his earlier books, was a Kirkus Review's best book of the week. He was selected as the 2019 Lawyer of the Year in Environmental Litigation for Central Pennsylvania. He has also edited two award-winning nonfiction works on environmental and oil and gas law. He's the author of the Mike Jacobs Environmental Legal Thrillers, Drink to Every Beast, A Mid-Rage, and Strange Fire. His new release, what we're going to be talking about today, is Reap the Wind. And wait until I say the logline, okay? Ready for it? This novel is The Perfect Storm Meets the Firm. Seriously, can you see it? Joel, did you come up with that line? I did, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I was... Uh trying to think about uh, comparables. You know, they they teach us in all of these classes that we attend that you should try to come up with some comparable novels. And I thought, well, it's sort of like The Perfect Storm and it's sort of like The Firm. And I thought, oh, it's The Perfect Storm meets The Firm. So that's how I did it. Yeah, it, 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 it couldn't be more. I mean, it's so, it's so visceral. It's so much, it's so much in our vocabulary. It's like, yeah, Perfect Storm meets The Firm. It's going to give all of you guys listening, a good sense of what we're going for here. So the, 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 the fun and the, and the challenge, frankly, of hosting Crime Wave uh, is to intrigue everyone listening with the premise of the story without walking them too far down the line of the, to the solution. So Joel, let's start there. Um, give us a, a quick setup of what happens uh, as we begin Reap the Wind. Well, Reap the Wind is, uh, I would say it's a thrilling action adventure story that that takes place uh, during a hurricane that's been caused by climate change. Uh, and it's really a modern day odyssey. It's, uh, I like to think of it as a gripping story that engages both the head and the heart. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to do in my previous novels is to uh, present significant environmental issues of our time, but present them in a fictionalized way. And I don't like to beat people over the head, but I, I figure if Michael Crichton and Tom Clancy could show people information and stuff and they could learn about genetics and about submarines and, uh, and do it in a fun way, then I should be able to do that with these issues as well. So in, uh, in Reap the Wind, you've got um, our main character, Mike, I'm sorry, <laughs> Josh Goldberg, and Josh is a uh, young lawyer working for a prestigious Philadelphia law firm. He's stuck in Houston, Texas at a firm-sponsored uh, conference that they're putting on. And the uh, conference is uh, droning on for a long time while there's a raging hurricane outside. 
his girlfriend, Keisha, is upstairs and he's just bored to tears. He's texting with her and trying to figure out how he can duck out of the conference. Um, along with him at the conference is his best friend, Jeff Roberts, who's a real estate lawyer. I, I don't know if I mentioned that Josh is an environmental lawyer, but Jeff is a yeah, real estate lawyer and also their boss, Diane Scanlon. And so Diane is uh, easily the boss from hell. Imagine all of the people you've worked for over the years who were the worst ones you ever worked for. And I tried to smush all of that into uh, Diane's uh, uh, background and, and story. She's a, she's a person who, um, who gave up uh, decades earlier, gave up any ethics or morals. And, uh, and she's the antagonist in the story. So uh, we've got the four of them. Um, Keisha, who is eight months pregnant, decides that she's going to fly back home to Philadelphia and uh, she wants to get home and be uh, with her own doctor and her mom and, and just be back home. Uh, uh, Josh is, is upset about that, but he can't leave because he's going to be on the uh, program the next morning. So he says, why don't you wait? She doesn't want to wait. So she flies off to uh, Philly. The plane gets diverted to Cincinnati and then he loses track of her. We learn early on in the story that, that she passed out in the ladies room and now is in a hospital. In any event, uh, uh, Josh uh, has to uh, has to figure out what he's going to do next. He's trying to decide whether he wants to drive through a raging hurricane to get to her in, uh, in Cincinnati when he finally figures out where she is. And uh, the problem is there are no airplanes, there's no trains, there's no buses. He can't even rent a car. He manages to rent a Lincoln Town car, though, from his friend who owns a limo company down there. And he and Jeff are going to drive to uh, Cincinnati and uh, and be with Keisha. Just as they're getting ready to go, Diane finds out that they're driving up north and she wants a ride to Philly. Well, the problem is Philly is a good 10, 12 hours away from Cincinnati. But she wants to meet. She has to meet with a, a, a Norwegian billionaire uh, over some business. So she finagles a, a ride with them and and uh, uh, claims that she will be taking a an airplane or something to get to Philly. Uh, but the whole time we know that she's plotting uh, to hijack the uh, the trip. So it's it's sort of the buddy movie from hell because you've got uh, you've got uh, these two characters, Jeff and Josh, who really are good friends, and then you've got. Uh, Diane, who's sitting in the back seat, giving them nothing but a hard time. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, great way to set it up. And I like the, the piece that you started out with about informing, informing readers without beating them over the head, because it certainly did that here. So, so we've got, I would, I was thinking I'd say the three musketeers, but I think that's really not stating it correctly. Anyhow, these three people are in a rented Lincoln Town car driving through a hurricane. So you've actually done a nice job of, of setting up sort of the, the conflicts between the, the, the personal characters. You've got, well, you've got Josh who wants to find his girlfriend. Um, what's going on with Jeff? Jeff is the buddy. What, what's, Jeff and Josh are friends, but they're not always on the same page, are they? Uh, they're, they're very good friends. Uh, we learn again early on in the story that Jeff is in his last few weeks with the law firm. He's uh, likely going to be asked to leave the law firm and he has an opportunity to go somewhere else. Uh, but we also learn that he's both an alcoholic and a drug addict, and he's got some real serious addiction problems. And that will present itself during the story. Uh, yeah. 
So that that is unfortunately um, there's a uh, large there are a large number of lawyers who have uh, substance abuse problems. So it's it really is. Uh, I'm not going to say it's commonplace, but it's not uncommon either. Mm-hmm. That you've got people with uh, these kinds of problems, and, and that part becomes a part of the story. Uh, you've got Josh, who's who's just a good guy. If he were you know, if he were one of your friends, he'd be one of your better friends. He's a good guy, a guy you'd like to be friends with. And uh, he's um, very sincere about wanting to get back to uh, to be with uh, Keisha. And uh, and so he, you know, the, these two people are, are really trying to help each other as much as they can. And then you've got Diane, who's got her own things going on. Oh, let me also mention, Diane. this is very much a part of the story, and that is, uh, Keisha wakes up in her hospital bed and here she is, uh, you know, 800 miles from Philadelphia and who's her doctor, but it's her former boyfriend. Uh, and his name is Anthony Souter and Dr. Souter, uh, has never quite gotten over her. And in a way she's never quite gotten over him, but keep in mind, she's eight months pregnant with Josh's baby. So <laughs> it is a, a motivating factor for Josh. Uh, that he wants to get up there, not only because he desperately wants to be with her, she's going to have their baby then, but also because he wants to rescue her from uh, from Dr. Souter. Rescue her or, um, hmm, <laughs> or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would, I'd like to share something when I was, uh, when I was um, thinking about writing uh, some notes for this, I came across uh, the following quote from a review. It's the nightmare of all road trips in which a storm raging outside the car is matched only by the storm raging within. <laughs> so you've, you've got yeah. all kinds of conflicts going on, on here, but we haven't talked about the other thing that's going on. And as serious as all these disagreements are between the, our, your, your human protagonist, they really pale in comparison with the storm raging on the outside, this hurricane that they're driving through. And really you do set their um, their personal feuding against a really terrifying backdrop of um, a, a, a climate change driven future and um, give us a sense that it may be closer um, closer than it appears. Now you're in, a, you have been in, are you retired, Joel? Are you retired? I am retired from the practice of law now. Okay, so but you were an environmental lawyer, so you know a bit about this. But how did how did you research this up close and personal look at um, some of these effects of climate change? Well, I'm an I've been an environmental lawyer for 40 years, so I had a lot of experience dealing with various environmental issues, and I deal dealt with all kinds of environmental issues in my career. And then, um, you know, I, I trained to be an environmental lawyer. Um, I, I, I took a degree in college, uh, physical geography, a bachelor of sciences degree, where I learned about climatology and meteorology and other subjects that are related to this, other science subjects. I went to a law school that had a specialty in environmental law, Vermont Law School. And and uh, my first job out of law school was as a, uh, an assistant attorney general working for the Department of Environmental Resources. And then all I did for 40 years in my practice was environmental law. So I know uh, quite a bit about environmental issues. Um, You mentioned at the outset that I've also edited two books on environmental issues, one on environmental law and the other one on oil and gas law. So I know, you know, I I feel as though I have a pretty good background uh, to be able to write something like this. But I also did a lot of research 
the the storm that I've created, which I uh, call um, Hurricane Epsilon, by the way, which uh, you might forgotten that note yeah. of. Uh, Epsilon is in honor of the critique group that I'm in, which is called Critique Group Epsilon. Um, but uh, the uh, storm is based on a number of recent storms that have taken place uh, largely in the Midwest and in uh, the Southwest and that have hit Texas and, and hit the Midwest terribly. And um, the uh, IPCC, which is the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, which is the leading organization that researches and deals with uh, climate change issues in the world, uh, it absolutely and unequivocally states that storms will get worse and that uh, our um, that the combination of storms will also get worse as climate change advances. So some of these terrible storms that we've had recently, a couple of years ago in Texas, for example, and a couple of years ago before that, and some terrible snowstorms that we've had uh, have been attributed to climate change. And although it's very difficult to attribute a particular weather event to climate change, I think uh, people who are in the know have said that they feel strongly that these are, are in fact, climate change induced. So we have our, our characters going, first of all, they're in this terrible hurricane. I mean, the story starts out, I have this, I came up with this great scene. What would be a really terrific scene right at the very beginning of the story? Well, the very, very beginning, I have a prologue uh, with a weather, uh, uh, one of the um, Air Force's weather crafts out in the Atlantic Ocean going through a terrible beginnings of the storm. But then at the um, at the uh, conference itself, they're up on the uh, 27th floor of this hotel and a clump of leaves and a, and a squirrel hits the, the window and the and the squirrel like grabs on with his with his, <laughs> his uh, claws and slides down the window and then he, he's hanging there for dear life. But you know we have all of these uh, um, um, I know, all of these uh, things that are going on early on in the story that are sort of predicates to this terrible storm. And they drive through this uh, hurricane. They drive through awful rains. Uh, they uh, face and deal with a, a tornado, uh, with uh, hail, with terrible snow. And, and I, I, every time I could, I tried to amp up the conflict, whether it was conflict within among the characters or conflict between uh, the weather, which is sort of a character in the story, and uh, the characters in, inside the car. So there is a raging hurricane going outside, going on outside, but there's also one going on inside. Largely, um, you know, Jeff and, uh, and, and Josh arguing with Diane, but also uh, Jeff and, and uh, Josh having issues because of uh, Jeff's um, uh, addictions. So there's a lot of stuff going on in that story that you know, where I try to amp up constantly uh, the, the conflict that's going on in the story. Well, I think you did a really um, an excellent job with the, uh, the storm piece. And you explained, you know, in a lot of really excellent detail, your, let's call it your academic and professional look at it. But some writers are not able to translate that to what happens to actual people who are, are caught up in it. And I think um, I'd like to give you that compliment that I, I uh, about um, um, setting being a character. And it really, you, you alluded to that. Yeah, I, I totally consider the hurricane one of your protagonists because the characters have to interact with it. 
you know, their opinions about it change during the course of the story. I mean, it is absolutely, it influences decisions that people make. It was a, it was a really excellent, um, it was a really excellent um, character. Now, um, let's see, how do I want to say this? Um, let's Diane's machinations are probably what, 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 what creates a lot of the things. Um, does Diane, um, does Diane stay with them till the bitter end? <laughs> uh, let me say that Diane is all the way through the story. She is, as I said at the beginning, she's the worst boss you've, all the worst bosses you ever had put together. And, yeah. um, you know, she's a person who, uh, who lost her moral compass and lost her ethical compass decades earlier. And uh, anything goes so far as Diane is concerned to get her way. Uh, I think I described her early on in the story as um, uh, the firm's 2000 pound gorilla, all 105 pounds of her. I mean, she's a, a, a petite woman who uh, is the, one of the top billing lawyers in the firm. And as a result of which the firm loves her. I mean, from a purely economic perspective and from the perspective of the way most firms look at people like that, you know, if you're billing millions of dollars a year, you know, they're, they're going to forgive certain foibles that you might have. They might forgive the fact that you scream at people that you're a miserable person to deal with because you're bringing in so much revenue to the firm. And, and that's the kind of uh, lawyer that she is. I mean, there, there's, you know, she's got this kind of false front that she can paste on. And early on in the story, by the way, um, Josh and Jeff were talking and um, Josh says, do you notice that she's talking in a, like a Texas accent? And Jeff says, now that you mention it, yes, I did notice that. He said, well, isn't she from down here somewhere? He says, no, she's from like outside of Washington, D.C. And then she went to school in uh, Connecticut uh, all the way through for her whole life. So she doesn't have a Texas accent. I've never heard it up in Philadelphia where we work. So she's that kind of a person who can put on a, a fake front and turn it on and turn it off. And, uh, and, uh, and I really, I really did want to make her every time she did something bad, I tried to think, what could she do next? That would be even worse. Mm -hmm. And I tried to yeah. make her that kind of person. You certainly did. That's great. Um, so, um, I, I do, I do highly recommend it. It is reminiscent of a lot of the books that Joel mentioned, the sort of books where you get, uh, thriller, uh, conflict and a lot of and a lot of action. Now, um, for full disclosure, um, Jeff and I have been, uh, Joel and I have been colleagues for several years, um, and we've actually met in person a couple of times, I believe. Um, but we first connected uh, online at the start of the COVID pandemic when everyone, you guys remember that, right? Everyone was in lockdown. We were all isolated. Nobody could do the things that they used to do anymore. And Joel came up with a wonderful plan to connect uh, mystery and thriller writers. We all lost our in-person um, writing groups. Um, and when I heard about what he had in mind, I uh, I offered to, to help out. So six of us worked out a few details and um, I think Joel did most of the heavy lifting uh, to convince the leadership of the International Thriller Writers to sponsor some monthly Zoom critique groups. And we named them Thriller Teak. Um, I've rotated off the steering committee uh, at this point, but I still host one of the groups. And um, before Joel gets a chance to talk, I just like to say it is still by far the best volunteer gig I have ever done in my whole life. So Joel, could you give a little plug for Thriller Teak, um, how it works, you know, how it's grown, um, what it means to the participants? Yeah, just to, it, what you said is very 
apt. And uh, also one thing that I noticed, because I was a member of a couple of uh, critique groups prior to that, is that um, a lot of the people in the critique groups who did not read or, or write thrillers didn't really get thriller writing. And uh, for example, I remember I was in a critique group with a very nice woman who was a um, professor of English at uh, Gettysburg College, which has an excellent, excellent writing program. And she once asked me, she said, how come in your stories, somebody always dies in the first chapter? And I said to her, well, how come in your stories, nobody dies in the first chapter? I mean, we, we just didn't get each other and we didn't get the kind of writing that we were each of us were doing. And I felt always felt for a long time, I should say, that uh, having a critique group with just thriller writers in it would be the way to go. And uh, when COVID came along and we had a meeting back in 2000, a, 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 a online uh, chat with uh, uh, Kim uh, Howe, our esteemed um, uh, executive director of ITW, and we talked about it. I ended up with a group of six of us, including Bonner and four others. And uh, we together, the six of us, uh, formulated what was necessary to come up with Thriller Teak, which is for members of the International Thriller Writers. And it is a critique group opportunity, which is just unparalleled in my opinion. We currently, we have 16 groups and we're serving 106 writers. Uh, we have uh, 16 facilitators, including Bonner and myself. And uh, groups of uh, no more than seven other writers, and we meet for two hours once a month and uh, critique each other's writing. And it, I've just found it to be invaluable over the past several years. It has improved my writing greatly. And uh, even though I'm you know, not any longer a, a debut writer or a brand new writer, you know, I still find that it's very, very helpful for me. So I'm, I'm very happy to have been a part of it. And it was not all me. It was it was the group of the six of us. I, I give credit to all of us and Kim and Lisa Gardner, for that matter, all of whom uh, participated and were very instrumental in this being a great program. That's great. It really is. It's, it's a terrific program. And anyone who is listening who is interested in it, the uh, links to sign up are on the ITW's main homepage. OK, um, so, Joel, are you writing something new? I am. I'm actually, I've, I've gone, I've taken a deviation from my um, my environmental books. I'm finishing up a book now called uh, Bullets Over Broad Street, which is a, a look at a low-level criminal in 1970 in Philadelphia who gets involved in some really, really bad crime, and it's just way over his head, and he makes some awful, awful decisions, and, and it, things just get worse and worse for him. I had a lot of fun writing that because it was so different than what I've written before. But on the environmental side, I've just started another novel called uh, The Firebrand. And The Firebrand is about a young environmental lawyer who gets tired of waiting for government to do to take action. So he starts taking action, take, taking the law into his own hands. And uh, he is the firebrand. Aha, uh -huh. that sounds interesting. Um, before we go off the air, could you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me at my uh, website, joelburkett.com. My books are available starting on February 6th. My books will be available on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can get it from, uh, you can get actually autographed copies from Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg. They just go to their website. Uh, my publisher, Sunbury Press, also has uh, books. So, And this book is available wherever books are sold. So uh, you can either look me up or look up uh, one of those other sources, you should be able to find the book uh, pretty much anywhere. 
Thank you very much. I highly recommend The Wind by Joel Burkett. And thank you very much, Joel, for taking the time to chat today. Best wishes for a lot of success with Reap the Wind and, and for these two interesting other books in your future. And I hope you'll come back um, to visit uh, once they hit the stands or are about to hit the stands. And Bonner, thank you. And thank you so much for doing this. It's so valuable both for the reading community and the writing community. And we really appreciate it. Thank you.